Good morning. Uh, it is great to see you again. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. And uh, I have to just echo, there was a comment made during the scene from Jared. Um, it was good to see the Eagle sweatshirt back again. That has become, we need to like commission one of those. A limited edition Hope Community Church, Columbia Heights, Eagle shirt. Just, it's a gift. It's a gift. My wife says all the time how much she loves seeing that. Uh, I don't know how much how excited Colin is every week for us to see him in that same shirt, but love it, love it. I wish that would. I wish that like somehow fit into what we're talking about. It doesn't. It just. I love it too. I agree. I agree with it. Um, we are in a series uh, in the in the book of Hebrews that we uh, have been in for a little while. I'm excited. We're entering into chapter six today. Um, and it will continue to encourage us and challenge us, and today uh, is no different. Um, today, in fact, we're looking at a passage that has historically been, uh, I don't know if controversial is the word, but it's been at least uh, uh, unclear how people want to interpret and look at it. And I'm excited to, to look at that and um, maybe help us all have some clarity or at least see the big picture and not get too stuck in, uh, in, in the little things. So uh, excited for that. I, uh, as we get thinking about what, what we're going into today, this question of things we start and don't finish, this question of what does it look like to think long-term and what does it look like to, to be people who finish uh, well is something that we see throughout Hebrews. We're going to see a few more times. And it makes me think of my marriage. Now you see this wonderful picture. I'm going to let you just take that in for a moment. Taking this, uh, this must have been the best version of this picture. I look like I'm kind of excited to be there. I wish I smiled more. Look at that. Look at my beautiful bride. This is our wedding. We were married over 15 years ago in the woods. Um, we just got a bear to marry us. Um, we're in the woods. We got married in Estes Park, uh, Colorado. And it was beautiful and wonderful. And um, as you can tell, that's about as fancy as it got. Um, I got like my undershirts even sticking out. What was I thinking? Um, I, I bring this up because I this image of marriage is so helpful for what we're going to be thinking about today. When I first got married, I felt like we had decided all the important things. Right? We I knew I I liked her, I loved her, uh, we loved each other, uh, we enjoyed being together. We both loved Jesus, and uh, for me that was like you know one of the big things, um, and. We decided to get married, and then we joined our lives together. We had a co- we made a covenant with each other, and then we moved into uh, our home together. At that point, we lived at, we worked at a camp, so we moved into our camp cabin house, um, and then instantly realized day after day there were many new things to learn, many new. Uh, Maybe felt like rules sometimes, but just the way of life and many new ways to, that our relationship changed. And we've been married o- over 15 years and we still, I, that hasn't changed. I think anyone who's married or even just in a, a relationship that is like the, just a close relationship with friends uh, and maybe even living with friends, there's this thing that happens where once you're in close quarters, once you're 
daily in each other's lives, there's this like forever relational growth that happens, right? This kind of maturity that happens, this knowledge of each other that happens. I learned all these new things right away about like bathroom use and uh, like conditioner. I knew I learned what conditioner was for my hair. I learned that there were flat sheets on beds, not just fitted sheets and like a old blanket. Um, I learned that you can do your laundry like every week. Not just wait till you like are going to the laundromat in your swimsuit. All these things that made life better. We also learned all these things about conflict in our relationship, how to talk to each other, how to communicate, how to get through conflict. I think of all those conflicts that now seem so little, but at the time were so important to learn how to talk about and decide what was important so that when they came again, it was like, oh, we've, already, we've, we've got through this. We can do this. And how that's grown and grown. And, and really, truly, it's not just a, like a corny, this isn't just a romantic comedy thing to say, truly, I like love my wife today more. I think we love each other in this deeper, richer way that we've been through all this together and, and, and learned to love each other in a way that I can't, con I wouldn't even consider not having this. I, it's, you, I had kids to that. We had a dog to that. We had buying, selling houses, moving, changing jobs, all those things that we got to do together. And we had to consult each other and actually decide that it's been such a amazing journey but a long haul a long commitment we're thinking in long for the long game here not just quick right and so i think that's today the in the end that is what the author wants us to to hear in this passage so i i say that first instead of kind of waiting to the end of the reveal of what this passage says because i want us to be thinking that the whole time as we walk through this end of Hebrews 5 and beginning of Hebrews 6. Because uh, this is a passage that if we don't do that, we can get, might get stuck in kind of his warning to us. And we, we might lose that like what he's calling us to is the same thing we're called to in marriage. Is this, are you in it for the long haul? If you really want the benefit of this relationship, it, it, you, we're in it for, for the long term. And so that's what we're going to move into. We're in the book of Hebrews. If you want to open up... Um, your uh, Bibles or the words will be on the screen here. And uh, oh, I'm always at the last slide. You got a little sneak preview. It's the last slide. Um, we're going to do a quick review here as we move into uh, Hebrews, the end of Hebrews 5. Here's just real quick. These are some of the big things that we've heard from the author of Hebrews. A person writing a letter, we think, uh, to Jewish Christians who are, who are being persecuted, who are suffering, who he has heard that or maybe actually knows them well enough that they have considered turning away from Jesus, even back to their Jewish faith, or, or some um, historians think even just to the religion of the regions that they're in. Um, and so he's reminding them that Jesus is greater. That's the title of our series. Just don't forget this. Jesus is the greatest. And so he's reminding them of these things. As we start uh, from the beginning of Hebrews, Jesus is the ultimate. He's greater than Old Testament prophets. He's greater than angels. His gospel is greater than Old Testament law. Jesus is 100% human. He understands our suffering, but he's also 100% God. He has risen from the grave, sits on the throne of mercy and grace, invites us into it. He's our pioneer, our trailblazer. Remember, we journeyed through the jungle with him. He, he rescued us. He's greater than Moses. And, he, and then he warns us. He says, don't drift away. This Jesus is the best. And then 
He reminds us Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He's the one who gives us rest. And last week we looked at Jesus as the great high priest. This whole section we're in now is, uh, is, is really looking at Jesus as a high priest. And we're actually going to see that, see that more. Um, but, but right now we're just hearing over and over, Jesus is good. He's so good. He's so much greater. He is the greatest. He's better than these people, these things that you clung to before as great. He's even better than those. And today he's going to warn us again. As before, he warns us to not drift away today in a different way is telling us what this looks like to drift away, what it looks like to turn away. And so that's what we look at first here. We're in Hebrews 5.11. We're going to pick it up right in 5.11 here. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you. So he's referring to this talk about high priest and maybe even the rest of the letter already just, we have so much to talk about all these things to understand how Jesus is better than these things, how he is the great high priest. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Some, some versions actually say you're dull in your understanding or have given up on understanding. Um, and so I'm trying to explain this to you, but you're not understanding. So he's going to plead with them that this is so important that you take time to understand this. In fact, but by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You should already know enough that you should be able to teach others this. But you're still in a place that you still need people to teach you. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not uh, acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. He's, now he's saying, you're babies. You, you're still on milk. You haven't, you haven't grown up. You haven't matured. But solid food, in verse 14, is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So this, this phrase here, the first little stop we're going to make, is just saying, um, he's, he's calling them babies. Stop being babies. You're, you need to mature into people who understand actually what's good and evil, even what's right and what's wrong. Some of this reason you might be considering moving away from Jesus is because you're still on, on milk. You still are, he's just indicating you're babies in your faith. Um, even this, he, he's, he's hinting that like you might not even understand the basics of, of this stuff, let alone maturing and growing into being trained. It says constant use of this, constant use of the work of applying the gospel makes us, matures us, gives us the opportunity to eat some solid food maybe, maybe some tougher things to acknowledge or even just how to apply the gospel to harder things. We're going to keep moving here. He kind of restates this in another way. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and not be taken forward to, and be taken forward to maturity. So he's like, okay, let's, let's move beyond just these elementary things about Jesus or about the faith. And let's, let's, let's mature us so that we aren't prone to walk away from Jesus, our high priest, and who's greater than Moses, who, who is our Sabbath. So he says, therefore, let's, let's do this so we can be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts that led to death and the faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites and laying on the hands and the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. 
So he stops, he lays out kind of, these are some of the ABCs, the fundamentals. If you walk into the preschool of following Jesus, these are on the bulletin board, right? The things he says, uh, if we just stop and look, he says, uh, repenting and turning to God. So just the basic. Remember, we had to turn away from things and turn to God as our hope and our God and our Savior. Talks about cleansing rites here. What is that? Cleansing rites would have been um, probably referring to baptism, this act that we do, this, this symbol where we actually put people into water and pull them out as they're a symbol that they're being cleansed of their sins, that they've gone from death to life. Talking about they've maybe experienced this or learned about this. Talking about uh, laying on hands. This could be in reference to praying for people, but also praying in the spirit, like the power of the spirits. This is talking about not just knowing who God is, not just being baptized like Jesus, but also the Holy Spirit being involved. Also talking about the resurrection of the dead. Do you understand what that means? It means Jesus has died and rose and we too will die and rise and then eternal judgment that you're aware that at the end, in the end, Jesus will return and there will be a judgment of, do you follow? Have you given yourself to him? Are you in his family or not? Some scholars actually have connected this passage and said these actually are phrases that have been used that also could describe Judaism. So they're saying this also might be a him referencing, you know these things, but these aren't necessarily even like Jesus things. You know these just from your tradition of the faith that you came out of ethnically, that the, the faith as a Jew you came out of. But are you really... Are we really maturing into understanding how Jesus does these things? I'm not, I'm not sure which way that, that is exactly. All we know, though, is that they're saying, hey, you know the basics here, but are we maturing past that? Do we know more than that? Are we growing in our understanding of the gospel? Something that's really helped me in this is a simple diagram. They call it the Big Cross Diagram. This is created by uh, Bob Thune, who's uh, a pastor in Omaha, um, and I think it's in the gospel-centered life. It's a great study. Um, and then you see this all over the place. And I, I picked this diagram just because I like it. It looked nice. This has been really helpful to me. I want us to stop and look at this because I think this is what this passage is getting at. This is a, a way to understand kind of how our lifetime of following Jesus is. Now, this is a line, right? And, and we know that that's how it works, right? We don't move just like from over here and just go and everything's awesome, right? We're moving all over. We're moving back and forth and around. This is generally how a way to help us see this, right? So we start with over here before we know Jesus and then whether we're introduced to people who know Jesus, uh, we start reading Bibles, we start becoming curious. There's some point where if you see a little door on there, boop, we say, I want to follow Jesus. God changes our hearts. He makes our stony hearts flesh. Right? He makes us alive and we say, yes, I want to follow. I want to open the door into God's house, into God's household, and I want to enter and be a part uh, of this. And God pulls us into his household. Right? We're rescued in that. We call that moment justification, Right, that moment when we have salvation in him, right? This spot on the timeline. Boop. And I think what the author here is saying is that, and then we kind of we, we move into the house, but we keep our shoes on. Right? We could just kind of maybe linger in the, in the narthex. Is that a word for house? That's a word for church. In kind of the entryway right, of the house. 
we might we're those friends who are like, yeah, I can't stay long. I'm gonna kind of wait. Maybe something better will pop up. Or maybe looking out the window, maybe there's someone else who wants to hang out, right? And we kind of linger here. And if if you look at this diagram, how it works is um, it starts over here, and it, it's it's our our awareness of God's holiness, His goodness, His love, His justice, right? And as we understand that more and more and more and more, we also become aware of our own sin and flesh. And so the reason it, it opens up, right? The reason it goes, zoop, the reason it opens up is because as I'm more aware of how good God is and how holy he is, it makes me more aware of how broken I am, how sinful I am, even not just me, but around me, how, how broken the world is, how God has created things to be and they aren't. And so the more I'm aware of that, the more I'm aware, the more I'm aware of how good God is, the more I'm aware of how good things aren't and how good I am not. And you know what it does? It doesn't make me despair and go, oh, I'm terrible. It makes me say, wow, God is good. It's this really cool thing that happens back and forth of I really am broken and, and sinful. How good is it that God loves me and forgives me? He knew that how the depth of my sin. And so what happens if you see here, right? The cross gets bigger. That's why they call it the big cross diagram. The cross gets bigger. So as I understand God more and see how good he is, how loving he is, how just he is, how right, I become more aware of my sin and it makes God even better. You know what it does? It makes the cross even more spectacular, even more scandalous, even more incredible. And so the cross grows, the gospel grows in my life. So the more I mature in my understanding of who God is, the more I enter into his household, I take off my shoes, I get in the kitchen and I'm cooking and, and I'm sitting down on the couch and I find out where my room is and I settle in and I figure out how life works as I apply the gospel day after day. I'm learning how good God is, how much I need him, and the gospel becomes sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And I move from at the door with my shoes on farther in, more mature, this author would say in this passage, right? Past just the, the first beginning steps to get in to the door and to hang out. But I move way in. I understand like the history of the house and the family and how amazing this God has always been, right? Which makes it that much harder for me to ever consider walking out that door. That's what we're going to get to now. That's where this passage leads us to is this... Um, what does it look like? Maybe why, if as we're young children, babies, infants in our faith, we might find ourselves looking out the window, looking for somewhere else to go. Um, we might find ourselves fooling ourselves that we actually are, uh, are much more mature in our faith uh, because we know a lot of things, because we know these elementary truths. We've aced our preschool and first grade and maybe second grade tests. And so we're pros now instead of this lifelong journey of drawing closer. I think it's actually, um, I found, I, I searched for old souls and this is what came up. I mean, take a second just to soak in how cute are little kids dresses, old people, man, I cannot get enough of this. It's like the, it's the best. Um, I have this, I searched old souls for a reason. I uh, was able to do youth ministry for a long time. And so I uh, have lots of great moments in there. And one, one favorite moment is a moment where I got a phone call because there was a high school kid 
who was talking about dropping out of school. He's a really smart kid. It like completely took his family by surprise. And so I, his mom said, he's considering dropping out of school. Would you talk him out of it? And so we got together, um, got some food and talked. And he said, hey, what's up? You're thinking about dropping out of high school? And he said, yeah, I think I'm, I took an econ class and a business class in high school. And I, I'm ready, man. I think I'm ready to like run a business. And so I'm going to drop out. I don't need college. That's not going to teach me anything. I'm going to get a job as a CEO for a few years and learn a few things, then I'm going to start my own business. I said, well, you're 16. I don't know if you're going to explain to me how you're going to become a CEO or they're going to get hired as a CEO. He says, oh, I, I didn't share this part. My mom, since I've been little, has always been telling everyone I'm an old soul. And I think she's right. My soul is like an old man like an old CEO, I think. And so I, I'll just tell people that I'm an old soul. I, I may be young physically, but I'm actually an old, mature man. And so uh, we were eating some Culver's, and so I was like trying to not laugh. I said, well, I don't think that's what your mom meant. I think maybe she just <laughs> felt different. No, I'm an old soul, Drew. I'm going to drop out of high school and become a CEO. And then I'm going to start my own business, man. You just watch me. So we, we talked more and he fleshed it out more and he eventually decided maybe finishing high school and uh, the experience of college might be uh, <laughs> beneficial. I don't know. I don't think it was anything I said. I think maybe he just needed to like hear himself say, I'm an old soul. I should be a CEO. Um, that eventually maybe convinced him uh, not to. But I remember this though because it makes me think of how quick I believe that though. I think man, I am so mature in my faith. Why would I ever consider turning from Jesus? I'm so mature in my faith. I think I've discovered new things about Jesus that no one else has discovered. I, I think we are, need to be careful. And I think the author here is saying, I think you, you think you're old souls who should be CEOs of companies and your babies who drink milk. Um, and so as we move forward, consider that this is the place he's put them in. And so when he gives this warning to them that we're about to see, that's kind of where he sees them um, sitting. Here we go. So in Hebrews 6, as we can continue on here, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Do you hear what he's saying? It's impossible for those who have tasted the heavenly gift, who shared the Holy Spirit, who've seen the powers of the coming age, and they've fallen away. They've left. They've left the door. They're out walking on the pathway back to their car. It's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. What is this saying? I mean, go on, read the rest of this. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. That's a strong language. The title in this is a warning against apostasy. Apostasy uh, sounds like a tasty Italian dish. It's actually apostasy is the word we use for people who have left the faith, who, who have decided to not, who have believed and then left. This is a serious statement for the author to make. He's gone from, hey, Jesus is so good. He's so great. And now he says, um, 
it's impossible for you when you leave to come back. What does he exactly mean there? Is that even really the language that uh, is best here? Let's just start in the first chunk here. He says, for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. This phrasing here, um, depending on which also translation you're reading, this and the, the statement after this, who have fallen away and been brought to repentance, this is the, the really the statement that for uh, in all of church history has been debated. What does this passage mean? This is a passage that people will go to just these couple of verses and say, does this mean people can lose their salvation? Does this mean people can believe and then walk away from Jesus? Or does this mean people who walked away from Jesus never really follow Jesus? So a few different ways it's been interpreted depending on people's kind of tradition they come in, in with is that this, this phrasing, they've been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they've shared in the Holy Spirit, could mean that they haven't actually ever, they may be visited, right? They're friends who visited the house, but they actually have never just said, I want to follow Jesus. They're people who have experienced the goodness of Christian community and God, but they have never really changed their hearts, turned to God. And so when it says they've fallen away, it's saying, okay, they never really believed in that. Now they just decided to fall away, right? So that's, that's one way that people see historically because we do see in Scripture, uh, Scripture saying that you have to make that decision to follow Jesus. We also see in Scripture that uh, uh, all over the place, right, that God says he changes people's hearts. He chooses people. He He draws them in. He, he offers them the gospel, and it's so good. They grab it, and they run in. And then if God changes that heart, we can't change the heart back. So how does that work? So the other interpretation, another direction people go is they're saying, no, these people have been enlightened. They've seen the light. They've experienced the light. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've actually been in the family of God. They've been shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God, the powers that come in each. So they're saying, no, these people, the other way would say, these people are Christians. There's probably more people who would say these are Christians and then they've fallen away. So then now we get into the question of, so if you follow Jesus, can you fall away from Jesus? If you follow Jesus, can, is it just a season where you've decided to not follow and then eventually you'll be back? And then if you actually leave the faith, if you say, no, I don't want to follow Jesus, this is way too hard. Uh, I'm really now considering this isn't real. This isn't right, right? Which I'm sure he's talking to people who are feeling this. Saying, then maybe you weren't ever in the faith then. Right? Maybe you weren't. So those are kind of that's kind of the range of like what is important. And I think if we're not careful, we could spend a lot of our time sitting here and going, oh no. Are, am I in? Am I not in? Is my friend in? Is he not in? Is my kid in? Are they not in? Oh, we gotta figure out who's in and who's not in. What how does this I mean? I think this is an opportunity for us to say, let's. Let's zoom out and read this passage and see what can we learn and what is really important here. Because he says in here, it's like you're crucifying Jesus again. This is serious. Hey, he's saying, hey, you're, you're like babies. I want you to mature and grow in the gospel so that these things like Jesus being better and greater are just built, built in. It's, there's not even a question of these things. That takes time and maturity. And so let's let's keep reading here. But that's kind of some of what we're thinking. What's going on here? Let's zoom out. Let's keep reading and see if this passage helps us clarify this. Well, he actually goes on uh, 
to uh, okay goes on to to mention a, um, a a story that we've actually kind of heard before from Jesus in verse seven land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God so land that takes in rain and a crop comes up and produces fruit is a blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed in the end it will burn. So it's saying there's two kinds of land, two kinds of soil. One takes in the seed, it grows plants, it is fruitful. One takes in the seed, uh, there, there's thorns and thistles that also are growing. It's taking in lots of different seeds. They're growing, they're choking it out. Those plants don't grow, there's no fruit. They're cursed and eventually that land becomes burned. Right? Let me zip, zip through here. So this is, reminds us, hopefully, it connects in your brain to a, a thing that Jesus said uh, before this. When he was talking, sharing a parable in Matthew 13, he says, a farmer went out to sow his seeds. This is a cl- classic one. I love this one. Everyone drew, if you were in Sunday school, you drew a picture of this parable. As he was scattering his seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Others fell among thorns and they grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell in good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. You guys remember this this, uh, parable? It should, in a moment, this this author has to know this or have heard these stories of Jesus telling this. And he's reminding them of this. It's talking about these four different soils. One actually is so hard. Um, it's not even really soil. It's just a path and a seed lands. It doesn't even get into the soil to grow. A bird just picks it up and takes it away. Other one is a little bit of soil, but lots of rocks underneath. And so as it grows a little bit, there's no roots to get down deep and really grow strong. And so the sun comes out and scorches it and it, it, it uh, goes away, right? It, it grows maybe quickly and then it's gone. The next two are the ones that are kind of mentioned, that are mentioned in Hebrews. One is grows up and thorns and thistles come and choke it out and kill the plant. There's no fruitfulness because other plants are allowed to grow in that soil. He's saying that that one is worthless. It actually will die and eventually burn up. But there's one that he's, he's calling us to, which is this good soil that allows the seed to come in to be planted, and then it grows, its roots grow deep, and the plant grows tall and strong, and it produces wheat. Or if you're gluten-free, it produces apples, and right? And you, you have something tasty to eat, something to make bread with. Um, it actually produces some fruit. So it's this model we talk about all the time, right? This allowing God to work in us, to establish in us, for us to grow and us to overflow and be fruitful and to be blessings and not just hold on to all of our wheat, right, to share and to uh, be blessings. So as we keep rolling through this Hebrews, we hear your babies in, in this faith. We want you to mature and grow in this faith so that you don't turn away because if you don't do this, you're in danger here. He's saying, warning, warning, warning. You could turn away from Jesus, which isn't just, it's not just not good. It, You're turning away from the source of life. Life will be choked out. You'll wither. You'll die. 
in this in, in the terms of this passage burn up this is serious this would be a huge bummer if we just stopped right now friends don't be bad plants don't wither don't die go and be fruitful <laughs> But thank God, that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't, hey, don't be bad, don't turn away. He actually, I think, wraps it up, encourages us as he has over and over again. What is the answer to this then? Is the answer, uh, do things that aren't like babies? Is it get smarter, get more knowledgeable, do more work? It's, we got to continue to do the work that he's called us to, which we just heard in Hebrews, is to hold fast to Jesus is to grab onto that rope so we don't drift away, is to look to him as the greater Moses, as the greater high priest, is to cling to him, uh, is to hold fast to him. And so Hebrews, as we continue here in 6, 9 through 12, uh, brings it together. I, I think of this part of this passage as like if your mom, dad, or older, a good friend, right, sat you down at some point when you were younger and said, hey, I got to tell you, this is serious. And they give you a warning. Hey, if, you, if this happens, if you do this, if you go in this direction, um, if, if you go that way, it's going to cause some serious damage. And, and hopefully as like a, a parent who's also wants to encourage you so they don't just leave you like bummed, uh, they would continue that, right? And they'd say, hey, but you know what? I'm encouraged where you're at now. Let's keep that going. And this is what the author does. He says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. So he's saying, I don't know. I don't think you're doing this right now. I, I don't know if you're going this way, but I, I'm worried it might be happening because I've seen some very childishness, a lot of childishness in you. And so I want to encourage you to become mature, to eat solid food, to grow up. And not continue to be children because I think it's going to lead to you falling away from Jesus. Whatever that looks like. Here, here's what he continues to say. The things that have been, um, we are convinced of better things in your case. Things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown as you've helped his people and continue to help them. Uh, he's saying... Uh, I'm not saying you all have walked away and that you're all going to burn up. I'm saying we need to be careful of this. And God sees the work you're doing in, in holding fast to Jesus. He sees the work you're doing overflowing to care and love for people around you and to care and love for the church. So he says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Here's, here's what he wants us to pull out of this. Here's what he wants us to walk away with this morning. Hey, be careful. This could happen. But it, I've been encouraged by what you have been doing. And here's what I want to tell you. Keep doing it. Keep clinging to Jesus. Keep holding on to him. Keep doing the work of believing the gospel. I um, It's not often I get to quote Sir Francis Drake. He has some great quote where he's actually referring to this idea. He says, Oh Lord, he has a prayer that he prays. He says, Oh Lord, God, when thou givest 
to thy servants to endeavor any great matter. Now consider if you, Sir Francis Drake was a sea captain, politician. He went on these, uh, he, he was on these um, sea battles, these giant historic sea battles. He traveled all over the place. So when he says, uh, when thou givest to thy servant to endeavor any great matter, I consider him even thinking that like, consider him being on a voyage in the sea, having to battle people, life and death. Grant us also know that this is not the beginning but the continuing of the same until it be thoroughly finished, which yieldeth the true glory. Let's consider this isn't like a new thing for me to have to endure. This is just a continuation. God has given me a way to continue believing the gospel and this yieldeth the true glory through him who for the finishing of thy work laid down his life for us, our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Sir Francis Drake. Who's, who has already finished the work? Jesus. Who didn't stop because it was hard? Jesus. Who keeps drawing us in, keeps pulling us towards him? Jesus. So he's saying, consider this life of discipleship. Consider this life that we have. Instead of always trying to figure out who's in, who's out. Am I in? Am I out? What if it was each day I get to wake up and apply the gospel to everything that I'm doing so that God would become holier, I would understand my sin more, and the gospel would become better. So each day I'd get to mature and grow, learning more and more what it means to be in that relationship. Instead of thinking of, uh, am I following the rules? Is God happy with me? What if I, how can I grow closer to Jesus today? This isn't about... Can people lose their salvation? I, I, I don't think we're talking as much about who's in and who's out. We get a little obsessed with that. And I think some of that's our cultures. We got to figure out who's in, who's out, especially kind of like right in a polarized time. It's not about, I got to try harder so I don't burn up with the thistles. He's saying, keep holding on to Jesus. We're playing the long game, not lawn game, not bocce ball, long game. Hold on to Jesus. It's about persevering. The, the word discipleship shouldn't be a program we're in or a quick who's in, who's out. It's a, what does it look like for the rest of my life every day to get to know Jesus more? I wake up every day, I get to say, how can I love my wife more? How can I uh, pursue her more? How can I learn more about our marriage? How can I, can we resolve conflict so that our marriage continues to grow? And that's just a tiny version of this. How do I wake up each day and say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I'm going to follow you more. And I'm going to find days where I'm turning away from him more. Things are harder and I'm, I'm not in the word. I'm not uh, with in gospel community. You know what? I get the opportunity to keep turning back to him. I get a lifetime to keep turning back to him. It's the long game. It's one thing after another on our calendar. It's the one thing tomorrow you know that's on your calendar. There's one thing you know that's going to happen. You get the opportunity to continue to hold fast to Jesus. So I think when we think about, think about the big cross diagram again, this has helped me so much. When we think about our uh, a disciple, sometimes we just think like, okay, I just got to get someone, talking about evangelism, right? I just got to get someone to open the door and move in and drop them off, drop them off, drop them off, drop them off, right? That's all I'm thinking about. And here's how I want us to think. I want to think about there are people everywhere on this, right? 
The cross is non-existent to them, to the cross is huge and good to them. Every person on there every day wakes up and they need to take a step to draw closer to Jesus and hold him tighter. Every day you're going to give an opportunity, whether it's a coworker that's tough to work with, a kid who's maybe a little hard to be with, maybe a moment that you want to celebrate. Every moment you get an opportunity to say, how does the gospel land here? What does the gospel tell me about this? How do I sow the gospel into this moment? And every day the cross will get bigger in your life. So that we move, we kick off our shoes, we move into the home, we, we get to be around God's family and him and learn and we establish our room, we put our posters up, right? And we're all, we're this family and as it grows and grows and grows, one day we get the opportunity for that to stick forever as Jesus comes back. We look forward to a lifetime of getting to know our bridegroom until the day he comes and makes that permanent. That's the, that's the good news here. We, he's warning us, don't walk away because you have this, and you have this opportunity to continue to grow and grow and grow.